0: good morning how's everybody doing this is fantastic man this is the first time i've been able to do an in-person gathering with the church since march so this is a huge blessing so can everybody hear me okay all right good deal so we are blessed um I'm doubly blessed because I get to do this with you guys this morning and then this evening I'll be with our church family in Rancho Cucamonga. And so we're excited. I, I do want to correct a, a, a term that I hear sometimes. I haven't heard it this morning, which I'm, I'm really glad of. Mm-hmm. Um, the, every once in a while, I hear people talk about churches reopening. We never closed, right? Right. The body of Christ has continued to move. God has not gone into quarantine. And the church has continued to live on mission, and we have adapted to our situation so that we can t- continue to grow in the gospel, do life as a family, and go on mission together. And so I just am I'm so grateful to, for the opportunity to be here with you this morning. And uh, so I thank you guys for that. Uh, let's pray one more time as we get started this morning. Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to to worship you and God to do that together in person this morning. Father, I I'm grateful for the the great love that you have for us and that you have protected us during this pandemic. Uh, we are here because you have watched over us. You've provided for us. You've provided for our families, and now we're able to gather again together. And so, Lord, I just pray that as we um, as we continue to worship this morning and um, we continue to enjoy being in your presence. God, I, I thank you for Abby and for her gift and the way that she used her gifts this morning to lead us into your presence. And Father, now as we open your word, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would make us more like Jesus Christ, and that we would be transformed so that as we leave this place, that the world would see in us the beauty of who Jesus is. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, Amen. And I think I'm getting a little bit of feedback. Is anybody else? Is that, that, okay. Scoot back some more. Okay. All right. All right. I don't think I could spit that far, but I'll, I'll, all right. So um, is that good? Is that better? So, all right, cool. Should I use this thing? Chris? Okay okay cool all right thanks David appreciate it man tell you what he works hard for a guy who's supposed to be off today so (laughs) appreciate you man so to this morning we as I understand it you guys have been in Galatians now for a little bit uh, and this morning we are continuing that series and beginning Galatians chapter 3 and we're gonna look at the first several verses of that Um, but as we do this Have you ever heard somebody, have you ever had anybody say to you, you're going the wrong way? You ever had that happen? You know, um, maybe you were sure you were on the, you know, you had the right map, you prepared for your trip and you were anticipating your arrival at your destination only to realize maybe because somebody in the passenger seat yelled at you that you're going the wrong way. Um, so yeah, this is, this is something that maybe many of us have experienced. And how about this, have you ever gotten frustrated with a friend or a family member who they, they have a problem, maybe it's relationships, um, maybe it's money, maybe it's something else, and it just seems like it doesn't matter what's said, instead of moving forward they just keep falling back into the same problem that was keeping them captive in the first place. You know somebody like that? Um, Or maybe you're the friend or family member who does this. And it doesn't matter how hard you try, it just seems like you always find yourself going back to the same old destructive behavior. For me, it's fried foods, okay? Anybody else? Amen, yeah, right, thank you. but sometimes the problem isn't just that our solution isn't working. Sometimes the problem that I, is that the solution is, is itself just another part of the same problem. So I'll give you a story. Um, so my kids are here with me today. And I, I'm glad that they're able to, to be here this morning with us. Um, so they, my son, who's, who's six now, when he was a little bit younger, he's learning about money now, but when he was a little bit younger they, and of course kids do, they, they were going somewhere and they ask for stuff, you know? And so as we're going somewhere, he asked me for something and I said, son, I'm sorry. I just don't have enough money. Now he must've heard that, uh, multiple times in, you know, in the last several weeks or whatever, cause he just sighs and he goes, dad, you really need to buy some more money. So I was like, that's not really how that works. You know, we don't get to, we can't buy more money. In fact, his solution to my problem was really just an underlining of the problem itself, right? So this is basically what Paul is up against with the Galatians in Galatians chapter 3. So if you would listen, we're going to read together Galatians chapter 3 verses 1 through 9. Paul's writing and he says, Oh foolish Galatians! Who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now, after starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures looked forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed the good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ Share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. So, this is what. So, Paul, if you've been, so if you've been following Pastor Chris and the the messages up till now, you're probably already aware that Paul is dealing with. So, the Galatians had a problem. Paul had had planted the churches there, and the he had shared the gospel with them. They had accepted the gospel with open hearts, and 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 with gratefulness and but then as often happened with Paul there was a group that came in behind him to circumvent his teaching these this group of false teachers we know is the Judaizers so these guys what they would do is they would come in and they say you know what it's great that you placed your faith in Jesus that's good and you should do that but really if you want to be spiritual if you really want to grow if you really want to be close to God Dude, you got to follow the law of Moses. you got to become like the Jews. you got to practice the Jewish religion. You've got to observe the feasts. You've got to go through the rite of circumcision. You've got to do all of the things that the, the Old Testament saints had to do because that's how you really get close to God. And so that's what these guys were coming in and teaching, and the Galatians were buying into it. They're accepting this false doctrine. They're accepting this false teaching that's telling them, Hey, if you want to be close to God, you've got to do the stuff of the law of Moses. And so Paul comes in and he says, he actually starts out the language here, we, it's softened for us in the English language, okay? So Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, he literally comes out and says something like, You stupid Galatians, you idiots. And it's really strong, and we're like, whoa, 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 is that Christian? Is he, can he say that? Is that okay? It's in the Word of God. Um, the, and the reason is it's meant to be this shock. Like, he, he is trying to wake them up. It's almost like, because Paul couldn't reach out and physically grab them and shake them, so he's trying to do that with his words. And so he's going, you guys need to listen up. You're losing your minds. This is crazy. And that's kind of what he's trying to say here. And so he goes on and he tries, he starts, he begins to appeal to their experience. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. You believed in, you placed your faith in the gospel and the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And so because the Galatians had believed the message of Christ. They had received salvation. They had received the the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is going, guys, this is your experience. I'm not talking about something that's just knowledge for you. I'm talking about something that you've actually experienced, you know, because you were there. And so he says, you know, God, you know, you've been transformed. You've experienced the hope, the joy, of salvation through the power of the Holy Spirit. And now you're turning back to the law of Moses as if that's going to make you fulfilled, as if that's going to bring you spiritual satisfaction, as if that's going to make you closer to God. And so he goes on, and this is the point that he's trying to make. He says, how foolish can you be? Verse 3, he says, after you're starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect or mature by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it wasn't in vain, was it? And so the point that he's making here, he's going, guys, you can't go back to the... The law wasn't making you perfect to start with. The law didn't bring you to Christ. The law didn't bring you to the experience of the good news of of Jesus. It was your faith in Christ that transformed your life. So now... Why would you go back to to this slavery of being enslaved to the Old Covenant, to the old teaching of the Mosaic Law, when that's not for you anymore? So, and I want to be careful, because sometimes as New Testament Christians, as people who live on this side of the cross, we can get the idea that the Law of Moses was a bad thing. That it was something that was a ball and chain kind of thing. Um... And that that this was something that that the Old Testament uh, saints would have dreaded, and that they they had to just hate living under the law. In fact, we can sometimes sometimes I when I read the law of Moses in the Old Testament, I'm going if I'm not careful. I find myself going, "Phew, glad I don't live under that. I get to eat bacon, you know." Um, the but the yes, viva la bacon. Uh, so, so, the um, so. They, but that's not the way that the Old Testament saints thought about the law of Moses at all. They loved it. In fact, the longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119. And literally every single verse in that psalm, except for one, every single one of them uses a descriptive word for the law about how wonderful it is, about how beautiful it is, about how the, the David writing says, I love your law. I love it. And we're going to dive in in a moment and just see these, the reasons why they loved it. And there was, and part of that is probably why these Judaizers are coming in and going, Hey, the law is good. You guys got to do the law. And so, but Paul is going, guys, the law didn't give you freedom. You're human ever. You couldn't do it. It was the gospel that set you free. It was the good news of Jesus. It was the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. So, he's, but these guys were teaching them that now they had to turn back and follow these Old Testament laws that they were no longer bound under in order to, to, to have fulfillment and transformation. So let's talk a little bit about that. What was the Jewish law, what was the law of Moses like for the, the Old Testament saints and for the, for the Jewish people? Well, it was their identity as a people. This was more than, so we, and as Westerners, a lot of times we have a hard time with this because we think about law and we think about things like don't speed, you know? Um, you know, uh, we've got a lot more laws right now because of COVID, but we, we think about the, the code that monitors your conduct to be sure that you're not guilty and you don't get a fine or go to jail, right? That's what we tend to think about when we think about laws. Well, for the Jewish people, the law of Moses wasn't just this code of it wasn't just a legal system for them this was their way of life it codified everything about their culture it told them this is how you dress this is how you eat this is how you you when you travel this is the way you do that um it outlined special feasts holidays all these kinds of things these were the things that the jewish law did for them um it was the proof of their relationship with god you back to exodus chapter 19 um Man, God gives them, he tells them, I've called you to myself and you're my special people. You're my own possession. You're my treasure above all the nations of the earth. And this is how you're gonna live. And I'm gonna tell you how you can obey me. And as long as you obey me, you're gonna be blessed. And so this is what he lays out for them. And so for the Jewish people, the law of Moses was the way that God had expressed his relationship to them. It was what's called in scripture, the old covenant And this covenant was a promise that God had given them that you're my people. I've chosen you out of all the peoples on the earth. I've chosen you. You're mine. And so for the Jewish people, as they looked at the law of Moses, it was their identity culturally. It was their relationship with God. It was um, the evidence that God had had favor on them. This is why the psalmist writes, I love your law. Because as he looks at the law of Moses, he's going, man, God loves his people so much that he shows us. It wasn't anything about us, but God shows us. And now he has given us this law, this promise, this covenant, this code that, that is the evidence of our relationship with him. And so now as we live life, the, the way that these Jewish believers would have thought about the law, they're going, the way that we do life now this was, this, by following the law of Moses, this is how we draw closer to God in that we evidence our faith in God by the way that we live, by fulfilling the law of Moses. So this is what it meant for them and keeping the law. Of, and so I want to be careful there because it's not that the law made them better. In fact, Paul will later say in this book that the law of Moses never saved anybody. He's going to say, it's, that's not what saved anybody. But ultimately, the law of Moses was the way that the Israelite people, as they had faith in God, this was how they demonstrated that they were in relationship with God. Now, why then is Paul pouring water on this? Sounds like a good thing, right? Because this is after the cross. This is after the resurrection of Jesus And this is after Acts chapter two, where God sends his Holy Spirit to his church. And this is something that you need to understand as you're studying the book of Galatians. By the way, this is the first time in the book that he's mentioned the Holy Spirit. But you need to understand that what Paul does with the Holy Spirit throughout the rest of the book of Galatians is to basically show the Holy Spirit is the better law of Moses. It's it replaces the law of Moses for the Christian. So the, in a sense, the law of Moses in that it was the cultural identity of the Jews, now the Holy Spirit is the identity of the Christian. The law of Moses was the, was the symbol of the relationship with God that the Jewish people had. The Holy Spirit is that for the Christian. The law of Moses was the way that the Jewish people remembered the favor that God had on them The Holy Spirit is the evidence of God's favor on you and me because he loves us so much that he's given us his Holy Spirit as the seal and guarantee of our salvation. The law of Moses was how the Old Testament saints would draw close to God because they didn't have the Holy Spirit like you and I do. They would draw close to God by keeping the law and and showing their love for God in the way that they follow the law. Paul is going to later say in Galatians chapter 5 that the way that we do that is by walking with the Spirit. And so throughout the book of Galatians, you need to understand, love, it's not that the law of Moses was bad. Paul's just going, it served its purpose. Now God has given you the Holy Spirit. You don't need the law anymore. And so this is where, this is what he's building up with. So these false teachers were teaching that the gospel was the doorway to the Christian faith, But real, deep spirituality comes from following the law of Moses. And Paul's going, no, 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 you've got that all wrong. And so Paul's going to give them two arguments to to show them how wrong that is. The first one we've already touched on, he he argues from their experience. He goes, guys, you have, going back to verse 1, he says, The meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. The gospel was clearly explained to you. You understand the gospel. This isn't something that you're still trying to wrap your head around. You know it. In fact, the whole first part of the book of Galatians, that's what he's been dealing with, is that salvation comes through Christ. But then he goes on, he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law? No, you received the Holy Spirit because you believed the message about Christ. And then he goes on and he talks about miracles and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the church. And he says, is that because you followed the law of Moses? Absolutely not. It's because of your faith in Christ. It's because you're following Jesus as King. It's because you've believed in the gospel. But then he goes on and he actually hits um, the, uh, the example of Abraham. Look at verses five, uh, six through nine. He says, in the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures look forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed the good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. So couple of things about the example of Abraham. Abraham is the father of the Hebrew people. All of the, the, the claim to fame for the, for the, for the Israelites, for the, for the Jewish people, was that we are descendants of Abraham. That is the father of our faith. He's the one who God initiated this relationship with. He's the one God gives the, the sign of circumcision to. And so this is the one. He's, he's the one that we're going to look to and say, He's the example of someone who follows the law. And that was the teaching, and you can actually find that in the Jewish writings, that they held up Abraham as having followed the law, even though the law of Moses hadn't come yet. They're like, no, but he followed it before it was even given. And Paul comes in and goes, no, that's not what happened. He says, you go back to Genesis chapter 15, and God tells Abraham, it says that God counted his faith as righteousness. And the, the image here is not that Abraham was righteous because he had faith, and as if that faith were somehow an act of righteousness. What he's literally saying, it's like, if I give you a check, and you count that like I just gave you money, right? So is a check money? No. The check reflects money that I supposedly have. But when you treat me as if I've given you money, because I've given you checks and I realize a lot of you are younger and you, a check is a piece of paper that you write your name on and you put some... Okay, so um, the, so at any rate, the, the, the image here is that God looked at Abraham's faith and he attributed his righteousness to Abraham because of Abraham's faith. It wasn't that Abraham wasn't himself righteous. And it's the same way with us as we come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's not that I, have, I am a good person, and because I'm a good person, I place my faith in Jesus. No, when I came to God, I was wicked. I was evil. I, I, everything about me was sin, Scripture says. But in placing my faith in Christ, Jesus transforms who I am from the inside out. And He gives me His righteousness. So that the righteousness, the goodness of Jesus is now in me not because I did some kind of work that, that, that earned that for me, but because it's a free gift from God. And so Paul is talking about Abraham and he's going, and what's cool about this is that this is a picture of what God was going to do in the Gentiles before the law of Moses ever comes around. God takes Abraham and he's like, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth through all the families of the earth through you. And what he literally, the word that he uses there is kind of the same idea that we get our word ethnic groups from, God is literally saying every people group on earth is going to be blessed through Abraham. How? Through Jesus Christ. And Paul, in, in other places, talks about even the sacrifice of Isaac and the, the, gift, of the, the gift of Isaac as a, as, a, as, a, as a child in Abraham's old age, just to give you an idea of what happens there. Sarah... Abraham's wife is 90, Abraham is 99, okay? Now, people aged well back then, I guess, but even, even aging well, they were done. There was no childbearing at that, at that age, okay? You're, you're closer to the grave than the cradle at that point. And so, he, his, his, God gives Abraham this gift of a child. And Paul's going... What did Abraham do to get that? Did Abraham practice you know, some kind of you know, secret medical technology that somehow allowed Sarah to, to conceive? No, it was a gift from God. And in the same way, our faith is a gift from God. Our righteousness in Christ is a gift from God. And there's nothing you or I can do to earn that. So what? So this is what the the scripture has been teaching in Galatians 3, 1 through 9. But how does that apply to us? How does it work for us? Well, let me ask you, have you been transformed by the power of the gospel? Have you experienced Jesus Christ in your life? If so, then this message is for you. If you truly understood the meaning of the gospel, then you know the freedom that was purchased for you through the death of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, Paul writes and says, For I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ, the gospel. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right, how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. So there are some wrong ways that we can end up looking at the gospel. We can get up caught up in thinking that the gospel is primarily about getting to heaven. That, that like these Judaizers said, hey, it's good that you believed in Jesus. That got you started. But now you've got to do all these other things. And as Christians, if we're not careful, we can fall into that same kind of legalistic moralism where we have this idea that, that, okay, well, now that I've stepped through the door of the gospel, now it's on me to do good things, to maintain my favor with God and to, to, to grow as a Christian. And that's not the message of the Bible. Sometimes we can get caught up in thinking that the gospel is all about making me happy right now. This is another false teaching, the idea that if I believe in Jesus, then everything's gonna go right with me. The guy who's writing at other places when he writes, he's writing from prison. Paul went through it. He suffered because of the gospel. In fact, where he says in this passage, where he says, have you experienced so much? The word might be translated better. Have you suffered so much because of the persecution that the church was going through? Believing the gospel doesn't mean that you will have positive, great circumstances in life. What it means is you've received the greatest treasure that could ever be given to you and that can never be taken away and that is of eternal value. So great is that treasure that it doesn't matter the suffering that you go through in this life. There's nothing that is greater than the treasure that has been given to you and you hold on to that. The gospel penetrates all of life it's not just this doorway we walk through it penetrates everything the gospel is the reality of all that is and so when i look at life through the lens of the gospel and i start to see and interpret life through the lens of the gospel i realize that the gospel has implication for everything that i do the way that i dress the way that i drive you want to talk about the law of Moses dictated most things about cultural identity for the Jewish people. The Holy Spirit of God dictates everything about the way that a Christian should view themselves. Everything. So the gospel transforms reality. If you've been transformed by the gospel, then the next question that we get from this passage is, are you now being tempted to turn back to things that you once thought would fulfill you? Have you accepted the gospel and now you're going, okay, follow Jesus, that's great, but if I'm gonna be happy today, then this has to happen. I'm gonna hit it, We're gonna, I'm gonna touch this, I'll, step my, I'll, I'll put my foot in it. Um, do we have spiritual tests for others other than, the faith, other than faith in Christ? Is there somebody you would say, you know what, because they hold this idea. We're in an election year, guys. Because they're part of this political party, there's no way that they can be a Christian. Because they believe this, there's no way. Because they do this. because Do we have spiritual tests other than faith in Christ? What are the things that, that we're tempted to turn back to and to believe as false gospels? that the idea that it's Jesus and, and those things might be legalism, politics, relationships, finances, your career. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's just getting your own way. But when I start using these kinds of tests to judge other people, or when I determine that only if this, only if my political candidate wins in November, if he loses, or she some of us are libertarians that's that's it and the Christian has to remember that Jesus is on the throne regardless of who is in the White House but there I've watched the the one of the things that happens sometimes in these years is that we will see as even our Christian brothers and sisters begin to sit wring our hands and just kind of say but if this doesn't happen all is lost no it isn't because the victory's already been won the gospel is true regardless of what happens on this earth and here's the thing guys it's going to get worse before it gets better because we live in a fallen world but the kingdom of jesus is sure and you're a part of that kingdom if you've given your life to him these are false gospels they promise fulfillment but only lead us to further emptiness when we think we're gonna get our fulfillment and our maturity from these things. These things don't work because it isn't about your own goodness to start with. Like the story I gave you at the beginning where Ethan said, hey, you need to buy more money. (laughs) Well, some of us are tempted to buy more of God's goodness, and fulfillment in our lives with our own righteousness. And the problem isn't just that you couldn't have enough currency to be sufficient. The problem is God doesn't accept your righteousness to start with. That's not something that he would take as if it could be worth his goodness and fulfillment. The scripture says that all our righteousness is like filthy rags. All the good deeds that I could do, they'll never, they'll never be enough to buy the goodness of God in my life. That's the beauty about the gospel. And that's what Paul's getting at when he says, Christian, you didn't, you weren't transformed by the works of your own righteousness to start with. You weren't transformed by any of these false gospels. You're transformed You were transformed by the power of Jesus Christ as you placed your faith in Him. And today, you will continue to be transformed to the day of Christ Jesus by the power of that same gospel. You see, the gospel isn't just the diving board into Christianity. The gospel is the ocean that we swim in. I tell our people at Grace Alive regularly, there's no graduating from the gospel. We grow, spiritual growth as a Christian is about growing deeper into your gospel identity, not adding stuff to it. Growth as a Christian is about growing into the gospel and growing into the goodness of knowing God and His grace. I'm going to steal one verse that you're going to read in a couple of weeks. Galatians 5 verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes and he says, So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. You see, the freedom of Christ given to us through the power of the gospel and growth in the gospel allows you to live out this freedom and is what truly leads to your growth in spiritual maturity. And as you grow deeper in the gospel, it's not just about adding knowledge of, it's not just about adding knowledge of of the Bible but about learning to walk with the Holy Spirit. And you're going to learn more about that in chapter 5, but that, as Christians, that's a mark of spiritual maturity, is learning to, to walk with the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm reminded, J.D. Greer makes the statement, he says, you know, a lot of times he says, as Christians, he says, we got two types of Christianity. You've got, he, said, he said sometimes, or two false types of Christianity are mistaken. Ideologies in Christianity. That's probably the best way for me to say this. The uh, you've got some people who they get really strange with the Holy Spirit and they do weird things with that, with the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And, And you know, if you know, I you know, I see a you know something on a sign and that reminds me of something else and that was the Holy Spirit and that's not always true. But then there are others of us that, and this is where I i growing up had more of this problem that christians believe in the holy spirit like we believe in our pituitary gland you know i don't even know where that is but it's in there somewhere and i'm not really sure what it does but i'm pretty sure i'm glad i have one and if we're not careful that's the way we think about the holy spirit when guys the holy spirit is god living in you it is that's the he is the person of the trinity Who resides in you and who has made his home in you? He's the seal of your salvation, the guarantee that you belong to Christ, and he's the one who is your teacher. He is the one who is your counselor. He's the one who is your comforter, and you are the one. And and he is the one that you are to seek continually, and allow him to lead your life, and you learn to follow him by learning to walk in the gospel. Let me read this passage in Colossians chapter one verses nine through fourteen. I'm sorry, Colossians one, nine through ten, as we come to a close. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you grow as you learn to know God better and better. So as you, as you think about the goodness of the gospel and the gift of the Holy Spirit, realize that there's nothing else. There's no, there's no other gospel. There's no other thing in your life that's gonna that's gonna fulfill you. There's no other thing that's gonna lead you into spiritual maturity. Other than knowing God himself. Because your spiritual maturity, just like the gift of salvation itself, it's a gift of grace from God for you. So continue, church. Continue to walk the way that God is taking you. Continue to, to grow in the knowledge of the gospel. Continue to grow in intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Know the word of God so you can know God as he has revealed himself in Scripture and then live in obedience to God. And that's how we come to know the Holy Spirit and to walk with Him, is by living in obedience to our Heavenly Father. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank You for the goodness of the gospel. And I thank You for this church that is faithful to the gospel. Lord, I pray for Paris Valley. Lord, that this church would continue to seek You and to continue to make You known. Father, continue to use this body of believers. Help them to grow in the true gospel and to know You even more deeply so that they can learn to walk in the Spirit. God, if there are those of us here who are placing our faith in false, flimsy gospels, things that You've already pulled us out of, God, would you help us to abandon those things and to look instead to you. You who are the author and finisher of our faith. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.